I did something radical last Monday. Radical? Did you go skateboarding? Did you do a kickflip? Do a no. kickflip. Do it. No, no. Did no. you go surfing? Surfing's pretty radical. In this weather? Uh, I, I don't mean, know. The, wave, gotta, uh, the waves would be huge. Oh, people go to Tofino at this time of year for the massive waves. It's cold as hell. But, but, uh, okay, but yeah. Wait, wait, I got more guesses. Uh, did okay. you do any parkour? Parkour is pretty radical. No. Uh, are you training for American Ninja Warrior? Uh, no. Okay, okay, I give up. What, what did you, you give do up. that's radical? Uh, we, I, uh, on my last, not this past Monday, but the Monday before on my day of rest, I recognized that the other day I had spent way too much time in front of screens. Mm-hmm. And it's something I had been thinking about for a while. And a part of this has to do too, like, so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, still working on my ADHD stuff. We've increased my meds twice now. I'm at like 36 milligrams a day. And actually the new stuff's working great, which is awesome. And it's feeling, um, more organized. My brain's less scattered and it's, uh, it's releasing better. So it's helping me organize my life better. But I was still like, man, like there's this stuff that gets in my way. And I was like, I was on my phone too much that day. And I like, I had to charge it like two times or something like that. Crazy. Right. Um, um, so I, what, I, what happened was I, I kind of sat there and I said, this is, this has gotten stupid <laughs> and I'm not okay with this. And it's interfered, it's interfered with my life too much mm-hmm. and I need to remove a lot of screen time from my life. So I, um, I went on my phone, I deleted almost all my apps I deleted Twitter off. Like, so Twitter is only on my computer now. I deleted Instagram. So I'm done with that, I guess. Uh, I deleted, um, I, the only thing I have left is a few texting apps so I can text with American friends, um, like banking or rewards apps because I'm like, an American friend. Yeah, but I can text you with the iPhone. So that's fine. Okay. You know, so like the ones who don't have iPhones, you know, I want uh, my own app. Texting Father Harrison for Father. There you go. Maybe we can get someone to make that up for us. Yeah. Um, so you know, I yeah, I kept like a couple, just a couple things that obviously I'm not gonna anything that was tempting to scroll with was gone. Like this is my that's my home screen now, and that's it. Wow. That's all I have on my phone. And so I got rid of so podcasts and audiobooks and texting stuff and a couple like banking or reward stuff, and that's it. I got rid of the browser. I got rid of all social media. I got rid of any games. Didn't matter. It's gone. Subsequently, I've also taken my Apple TV. What? I've also taken my uh, Apple TV out of my living. I have like I actually have an old Apple TV and a new one. And I because I have a TV in my room too. Okay. Because yeah. I have my own TV. The Rectory has its own. And I my parents bought one a few years ago, right? So wow. Um, you have the dev- Devil's Tabernacle in your own room. The TV. I know. I know. Um, I always suspected I was holier than you, but now there I There you go. I've never heard that before. Yeah, the dev- Devil's Tabernacle. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's- <laughs> anyway, I moved the Apple TV to – so there is no Apple TV in my living room anymore. So I can't even – and I'm canceling the cable because I don't really watch cable TV anyways. Yeah. Um, and so really if I want to – like, so I can still watch a movie. I can move the Apple TV back in here if I want to watch a movie, but that's like – it takes the temptation of like sitting around having lunch and then watching TV for an hour instead of, you know, eating lunch in 20 minutes. My life is so much better. <laughs> I cannot believe it. Like, so yes, obviously 
a screen time now kind of does obviously migrate to the computer a bit more because I mean, like I have to do emails. I have to spend time with this stuff, but um, my life is really good right now with all of this. Like I have, I have way more free time, way more free time than I ever thought possible. I've organized my dining room table where I'm recording from right now. This is now my study area. I've got Ooh. books organized perfectly. It's kind of awesome. I spent, I read a hundred pages last night. No problem. It felt awesome. Um, now, you know, there is that worry that says, like, is this just a short-term thing? But I've survived very well without any of these things on my phone. Did you have any withdrawals? Did you like, None. I got to check Twitter on the app. I got to give me some of that Twitter. So the well, the first couple of days, it was just more of the a habit of going to my phone. I'm like, oh, wait, there's nothing. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Why am I picking up the brick? There's like, like I, I never, I only have to charge my phone at night now. Wow. <laughs> because Look at I don't that. use it enough. Um, this has been kind of amazing. I, I, I think it, you know, it's, it's something I think I'm going to keep because I listen, social media is good. It's important. Um, it's, but it's, it, it, every screens have taken over my life. And part of that comes from just my childhood. We grew up watching TV all the time. So it's just, mm -hmm. I think it became kind of an ingrained habit for me forever, but it also fed the ADHD. <laughs> yes, that would do that. Yeah. Right. And, and just that day I was just like, Oh, it was like almost like you hit like a rock bottom with screens. Like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and uh, it just it required it gave me the courage to make the radical move in that one moment to realize my date felt so my day felt so icky with all that. I just need to remove everything. And it's been over a week now and it's been no issues. I mean, yeah. there is a few inconveniences. I can't you know, if someone sends me a link on my on text. I can't go yeah. look at it, but I don't care. <laughs> it's like, whatever it's not the end of the world and so yeah. i'm not on my phone as much and that, like so i'm out of bed now within the three minutes in the morning not bad because i can't i can't go on my phone and you know be lazy in bed yeah um That's i'm good. praying i'm praying more because and i'm also more concentrated in prayer because i, I keep my phone near me because it is the phone for the rectory and everything so yeah. if an emergency call comes in but i'm not getting buzzed with updates and not tempted to go on twitter when i'm in prayer yeah. This has been the best move I've ever made in my life. That's good. Um, the difference between you and me is that I feel like that would be very beneficial to me, but right now I just don't care enough to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a little bit. I've done a little bit. I've I blocked know. some things in the, my yeah. browser and that sort of thing. But, I mean, uh, your, but your phone is your phone is so old, anyways. You can not like you can do anything on it. No, I mean I can do something on it for like fifteen minutes and then it dies. So, <laughs> but honestly, this has been this has been just amazing and I, I find even now even when i'm in front of my computer now, i don't feel the need to be it on on it all the time i don't like you realize how often you go to these things not because you need to right but because you're just you're you want to either distract yourself for a bit or you just want to cover up a couple minutes of boredom exactly and now it's like no i could go do that chore or i can answer that email or i can go I go for a walk. I can, or it's like, so when I listen, I eat lunch now, I just try to listen to an audiobook or a podcast or something. This has been, this has been awesome. Delightful. I'm proud of you. So that's just, I wanted to share that with people because I think, Good. you know, it's going to be different for everyone. This is what I think I needed to do. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So yeah, with that, welcome to Clerical Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. So Father Harrison, everyone agrees I'm a good priest, correct? Correct. Thank sure. you for agreeing with sure. me. Yes. So I went to spiritual direction about two weeks ago. Whenever I go to spiritual direction, I go to confession. So mm -hmm. went to confession, like I normally do at the end of spiritual direction, 
said the sins. And he says, the priest says, now say your act of contrition. And I said, God, the father of mercies through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy. And he goes, stop, 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 stop. That's my line this time. So I started saying the prayer of absolution for my <laughs> act of contrition. He's like, don't get me wrong. It would have been great if you just absolved me of, my, of your own <laughs> sins. I don't know how that would work. And I was like, man, I think I think I need a nap. And he's like, yeah, I think you do too. <laughs> I, I guess I've been hearing a lot of confessions, but I could not stop laughing at that. So I think everyone like has embarrassing moments in the confessional. Like a lot of times when I'm hearing the confessions of kids, I raise my hand for the prayer of absolution. I've received many high fives at that point in time, which is funny. Or other people like make flubs or mistakes here and there uh, on, you know, for confession. But very few people are in the illustrious club of trying to absolve your confessor of your own sins. I that's am one of those one. members. That's that's pretty unique. That's amazing. It is. I uh, actually I had a similar experience just on Sunday. I was doing spiritual direction with someone over Zoom, mm -hmm. and uh, we're we're just chatting away. I mean, like I, I this is all temporary. I hate using digital means for spiritual direction; it doesn't work. Yeah. But we have to for now. Um, but uh, at the end, I said, oh, "Yeah, I'll give you a blessing." So I give the blessing, and then at the end of the blessing, I said, uh, "Go in peace. Uh, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace." I was like, mm -hmm. "Wait a second! I didn't give you absolution. Why did I just say that?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, "Oops!" And it just happens. This happens with priests because you do blessing stuff so often that sometimes it just bleeds together. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, one morning, I was super tired, and I, I always say a prayer before uh, we get started with mass in the sacristy. And I totally did bless us, O Lord, and these I guess, which we're about to. <laughs> but it actually kind of applies for the mass. It kind of does. There you go. There you go. The thing is, I've been doing confessions for our faith formation kids. So like every yeah. week, you do like one class. So I was doing like uh, just after first communion, whatever grade that is. And let me tell you something. There's nothing like hearing the sins from a kid who can't quite say his R's correctly. Mm -hmm. There's something very adorable about it. And uh, so that's been fun hearing uh, the kids' confessions. Um, not because like hearing their sins is fun, but just it's a neat opportunity to not be a jerk. Like at the very least, they went to confession as a little kid and I was nice to them. And hopefully they remember that. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoy doing that and being like fatherly in that aspect uh, for yeah. them. So that's been uh, delightful. And then nice. afterwards, I get to go visit the CCD kids, which is something I don't do enough. But since I'm in the building, right. I'm like, oh, I should do that. You uh, see, you guys have you guys have a lot more flexibility to do stuff like we like our our religious that's all online right now. And it's yeah. probably gonna be like that for the entire year. Um, yeah. There's just nothing happening in our building outside of and right now, not even liturgy. So I mean, yeah. hopefully by the time this one drops, we'll be reopened. But who knows? For us, it's the sentence to say. Whom's this to say, indeed? Uh, like, for us, uh, our school is closed because one of the teachers got the COVID. Mm -hmm. But so far, we've had no cases in CCD. So we're, we're still doing CCD. Um, but we're all kind of on pins and needles waiting for that first case to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. But until we get one, we're going to keep doing stuff. That's the plan mm -hmm. so far. For better or for worse, that's what we're doing. So, no, that's it. Yeah, we're, um, we got um, shut down last week from the government asking not not just not just um not just uh churches but also like anything event wise was just all shut down for two and a half weeks because our numbers were rising pretty quickly um so it is what it is it's, it's just it, it, this too shall pass this too shall pass so but yeah well shall we uh shall we do some summa oh yeah tweets yeah
All right. Well, let's head into the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about So the Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. And, oh, I had two from JD that I wanted to share, but I'm going to just do one. Okay. I, I think I'll just do one. I'll be good. Uh, this is a good one. This is a good topic of conversation. So um, the his tweet says uh, from JD Flynn, um, for all the talk of the post-parish church, what if the pandemic reminds us that a territorial community of Christian solidarity is both a source and conduit of much needed grace? And this is a really important topic because like, so for those who aren't aware, like this is, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people who think that there's, um, that, you know, the idea of even a parish church is kind of, those days are coming to an end. I've heard, I've heard that talk a lot, right? That, and uh, that, you know, like I've heard ideas, for example, saying, you know, maybe that parishes are more according to different charisms and stuff like this. But, you know, I think JD's point is good. And I think it's one of those things that this is a moment to be listening for in the midst of what we're going through um, is, is this question about the importance of a parish. And I, because like what he's trying to get at is this idea of like a localness of a community of Christian solidarity is, 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 it's the incarnation. It's it's the place where God gives us grace locally. It's and so it, we the community we have locally. Everything that we have is just there in the parish, and and I think in the, in these times where we feel so distant from people, where society is even feeling very fractured, I think that's due in fact to the lack of localness. And so like there was before even all this kind of hit, there was a lot of emphasis on um 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 local buying and stuff like that. I think you're going to see, uh, um, I think you're going to see actually even more, um, I emphasis on the idea of localness after this, uh, because like a parish is like, and this is the thing, cause like, and I, I'm hoping and I'm praying that, that we'll start to see that a parish is also not just something that, um, that is, just the building as well. The building is important and essential, it's where we come together for liturgy and the life of, of communion, but that everything we do outside of as a parish. So if it's your family, you're, you're ministering to someone who's poor on the street, that's a work of the parish, right? And that we see like the parish as this conduit of grace, not just locally to ourselves, but also to the local community in general. And so then it becomes this kind of outpouring of Christ's grace to the world. And that's only possible when the incarnation is taken seriously. So I, I kind of agree with JD in this. And I think it's something worth worth pondering and reflecting on. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to need to think of as we maybe it seems will be coming out of soon. Um, I don't think anything's going to change, uh, at least not immediately, because in order to think about that, you have to be thinking about things. 
And the thing is, for better or for worse, I think for worse, I think you've got a lot of people in leadership who are, this is the way we've done it, and this is the way we're going to do it. And also, yeah. there's a lot of inertia to a parish culture. Like, cultural change is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you get sucked into this inertia of this is what the parish is, and this is what the parish does. And it's tough because... You know, we keep thinking about like new ways to be parish, and we just don't know because we haven't tried a lot. Or even I have a buddy of mine um, who was thinking about this idea about having a, you know, for new people who are walking into Mass for the first time, when they walk into like the vestibule, there'll be a QR code, and you can scan it with your phone, and then your phone will lead you through the Mass and tell you what's going on, when to sit, when to stand, that sort of thing, explain stuff as you go on. And like, cool, that's a great idea in some sense. But it also just continues to allow Catholics to be comfortable instead of reaching out to the person, instead mm. of someone guiding them through the mass, a person, because we really don't like personal encounter. So even as we try new ideas, and I like the the brainstorming, the thinking about it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's going to be tough because uh, we only know what we've known. We've only experienced what we've experienced. Uh, and so, one, it's going to take a lot of courage, but also... You start changing stuff up in in the parish, and a lot of people who who give money, a lot of people who do things, they're not going to like it. Um, and so I'm not saying it's not possible, but I don't think we can downplay how difficult it is to do cultural change. Now, the one thing about something like the pandemic, and this is why I'm actually going to double down on my thing, nothing's going to change soon, is that we've had the perfect opportunity that a lot of stuff was burned down for a long period of time. And instead of trying to do new things instead of trying to, hey, we need to think about what it means to be parish. You know what we did? We did live streaming. Now everyone does live streaming and that's it. And so, I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that you're you're not right yet. Um, and it, it, I mean, I just don't know how much with like, you can get so overwhelmed and just run over, uh, by the forces that surround you. And it takes a lot of courage and leadership to start trying new things or to form a spirituality among your parish, among your staff, among your <laughs> parochial vicars, your permanent deacons, and like, hey, uh, your pastoral council. We need to start thinking about what it means to be parish. That requires a lot of teaching, a lot of listening, a lot of time and effort, probably most of your time and effort. Mm-hmm. And when you're worried about budgets and the fact that people aren't giving as much money and these programs are failing or we need to revamp faith formation or we need to do this, it's going to be very difficult. Hmm. I, I, I don't disagree with you. Like I, my worry is then what's God going to have to do to make us listen? Because yeah, that's a good worry. Because <laughs> if you read any of that Old Testament book, he, there are no lengths to which he will not go to to reform his people. So, mm-hmm. right. Uh, so, so yeah. So then, um, so then, if you know, first, okay, quick plug. Mm-hmm. These are questions I propose in my new book. Yeah. <laughs> What's the name of that book? Where can you get I, it? Finding Christ in the Crisis, osvcatholicbookstore.com is your best place to get it. You can also get it on Kindle, on Amazon. It looks like they're having troubles getting it up on Amazon for single copies, but uh, buy many because you can get it's so cheap. It, that's the whole point. It's cheap. Buy it for your parish. Give them out in your parish um, because um, this is a question. I, this is, we propose this in the book, and this is like an important question because um, – and this is the hard thing. It's like 
I get the habits and the cultures that we've developed around parish life are so ingrained in us that to start to think differently is hard. Even in the midst of a pandemic, we just, it, you see it. People just want to grasp on to what works beforehand still. Yeah. But it's like, we need to really, um, we really need to think differently about that. And I mean, it, it's, it's hard and it's, it's, it's difficult. It, it takes a lot of formation, but actually, I, for example, I think actually the ways we responded isn't so much a sign that we haven't learned. It's just a sign that we obviously didn't do a good job in teaching people what it means to be a parish or to help them understand what it means to be a parish. Like, so, you know, I remember, you know, someone saying, you know, what are we doing? I'm like, well, what are you doing? Like, are you phoning up the parishioners who are at home by themselves who have no family? That's the work of the parish, right? You know, part of me wants to say like the institutional side is important, but it's not reducible to the institutional side. There's the canonical kind of spiritual side too of a territorial parish and it has its place and its importance. And I just want, you know, I think we need to say like, okay, God, things have changed. How am I going to listen in this so that we can be more fully the church you ask us to be? And but I also, honestly, I think that is a question at least, at least every priest should be asking. Yeah. And I would hope every Catholic is asking because that is the question we should be starting off with. Not, you know, I want this out of the, you know, I want this today. And I, you know, these are my rights or it's like, no, 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 no. Again, like Israel, God, what are you doing right now? Where it's God's will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. I, mean, I hope so. Who I hope knows? we do our part, whatever that is. And, and I mean, but, yeah. Like, yeah, but like cultural change isn't overnight either, right? Like these right, things exactly. take, it is small, it does take time. And I'm just hoping we can say, listen, things didn't, you know, obviously what we did beforehand doesn't work because look what happened. Yeah. We fell apart. So what can we do to build the pieces back up? Yeah, it's tough because going back to normal when normal wasn't good, but it was comfortable. Mm. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. This tweet is from Alfred the Great at Alfred underscore D. He says Christmas trees quite likely have a pagan origin and we should keep them. Uh, we should keep giving them pride of place in our homes as one would for any trophy captured from a defeated enemy. I love this. Isn't that great? First of all, I mean, just like to point out the obvious, that's a really hardcore way to look at Christmas trees and I support it. Yeah. But also, uh, Sometimes I think we think too much about these things. <laughs> like, yeah. can't a Christmas tree just be a Christmas tree? Like, right. I mean, there, it's true that like symbols uh, have have deep meaning, but it's also mm -hmm. true that symbols do change over time. That's right. And what does the Christmas tree mean now? At least for most people, it's a sign of family, of getting together of joy or of peace or of excitement for something good that is to come. And while that's not everything, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Like I, and I, I, I've gone back and forth in my extremism for Lent. I mean, Advent um, in my seminary, I would get this little plastic Christmas tree and I would keep it on my desk during Advent, but I only decorate it during Christmas. And that's fine. And the neat thing is that like, there's a lot of young Catholic families who are experimenting and, making their own new traditions and all that's fine. But also sometimes your family has a tradition of buying a Christmas tree early and mm -hmm. getting together and decorating it. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Yep. We can't get become like too crazy about this sort of thing. And especially, especially in 2020, like everything has been bad. 
you can have your Christmas tree early if you want to. Okay. I've already started baking. <laughs> See, exactly. So I think I think we can sometimes um in our zeal to reclaim or rebuild a Catholic culture, sometimes we can get a little bit crazy. And mm -hmm. um, not everything is a big deal or as extreme as it needs to be. Like I said, that being said, I love this perspective. It's hilarious and I like mm -hmm. it. But uh, it did make me think of sometimes people get just a little bit too crazy about uh, trying. We, everything has to be super Catholic all the time. It's like things can be normal, too. And that's actually pretty Catholic. Like, right. Think about it. Ordinary life is the most Catholic thing you can have. Mm -hmm. God works through the ordinary. That's how he normally works. Uh, this is an example I give all the time. Like God uses ordinary bread and ordinary wine. And if we're really honest about it, like pretty sub-ordinary bread and wine. We're not giving you the best stuff at our parishes. That would be too expensive. He takes that mm -hmm. and turns it into his body, blood, soul, and divinity. You know, he takes mm -hmm. a man and a woman and through the sacrament makes them one and can make them saints and a holy couple and a holy family. Like ordinary people. And they become that through living ordinary life, which is sometimes tedious. Um, Jesus Christ thought ordinary life was so good. That's what he did for 30 freaking years. Mm -hmm. He wasn't, he was just being a carpenter. Like it was so boring that yeah. none of the evangelists wrote about it. It was just, eh, whatever. <laughs> and there's something good about that. Right. So my point is that it is okay to be cool and normal and chill and not to freak out about stuff. Right. Uh, yeah, so two, a few things. Like, first, I just love that tweet. I thought it was hilarious. It is. It is hilarious. I, it, I do I like love it a lot. I, I, I thought it was, you know, and it, but there's also points to this truth. And it's just something yes. I think a lot of Catholics forget sometimes. So a few things. First, the idea of Catholic culture is a bit of a misnomer because one of the beauties of Catholicism and is that it's, it's in a, its ability to be comfortable in many cultures. Um, one of the things Henri de Lubac talks about in his book Catholicism um, on is is this idea that Catholic in its understanding of being universal means that it really is the fullness of all humanity and anything that is true, good, and beautiful, even if it is of pagan origin, can be honestly uh, lifted up into that, yeah. right? And and it's it's and so we need to not like freak out about these things. But yeah, I guess the other idea is like yeah, remember like actually Catholicism is not just Roman. <laughs> also true. And even Roman Catholicism has its different expressions. Like I, like I did a baptism on Saturday, and and the the mother is calling me up saying like so where do I get the big candles where I write the date on the candle and stuff like that and where do I get the sash? I'm like what are you talking about? I mean, like, and I, rec I mean, I know because every culture has its different things around baptism. You do a Filipino baptism, there's 20 godparents, even though you only need two. There's 20 godparents, right? But this is part of the culture's response to the gift of the sacrament. And it, it's, and so this is the beauty of Catholicism. It really isn't reducible. It's not really a culture in a way yeah. because it's meant to encompass the whole of humanity. And so its cultural markers are very limited. Um, and and so like stuff like the Christmas tree is not a bad thing. And it, like, listen, like I also look at it this way. It's like, I, cause I get you too. I've kind of gone the, that direction myself and I'm like, no, the Christmas tree in the end, it's like, it's an anticipation of the light to come. And, and that's really what we're trying to celebrate in Advent anyways. We don't really get to the fullness of the joy until Christmas day anyways, with the presents and all this stuff. Right. So it's like, you know, let's just chill a bit. 
and not make everything into a culture war. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, everything does not need to be a culture war. But also remember, like, really, this has been actually one of the great geniuses of Catholicism is that it actually it looks for the good in all things. And when it, if it's good, it comes ultimately from God. And yeah. thus it's worthy to be honored and lifted up into our Catholic traditions. There's, I think there's some kind of analogy here about, uh, you know, Christians move about the world in the world like a soul does in the body. And there's something mm-hmm. about it's like the cultural expression is the body, but the heart of it is like the soul. And these two things, they, they, they work together in each, in each culture. Mm-hmm. I think that works. I think mm-hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Okay, good. Cool. I, I want well, to check uh, my analogies with you to make sure yeah, you're yeah. not heresy. Well, I mean, here's the thing with it. All analogies fall apart in the end. Uh, very I, true. By virtue of the fact that they're analogies. Yes. Right? Just like, yeah, anyways. Um, uh, just like Italians. Anyways. Um, <laughs> That's only after a lot of Sambuca. Then we fall. <laughs> a little bit of grappa, then we fall apart at the end. <laughs> All right. Well, let's head into uh, presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. All right. So I'm going to see how well I work this one out. But I, I was hanging out with some of the Aggie Catholics last week. They invited Boo. me. Boo. Boo, Aggies. They they invited me to come hang out with them on Zoom, so I did. Listen, all I know about Aggies is they're very into their identity, and that yes. makes me want to make fun of them. Oh, I see. It's not just a like, good thing, but so it's just, just what I feel. Pittsburgh. Just like people from Pittsburgh. Right. So like, do you make fun of Pittsburgh people then? Like, just... Uh, I think, I mean, it's different, because with Pittsburgh, it's obviously jealousy. With Aggies, I have no idea what they're about. <laughs> Like this is obviously the best city in the world. Like why? Of course you're you're you either love us or hate us because you're either jealous or you appreciate it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So uh, Aggies, you're not that special. I'm glad Anyways. you got to hang out with Father Harrison. Anyways. But uh... Uh, <laughs> Sky uh, brought up a question about okay. a class you'd taken a long time ago, and, and I thought it was a good question because I think it gets to an important topic. I want to talk about God's love. I know it's uh, yeah, listen. I know it sounds repetitive and we hear it about it all the time and we you know it almost loses its power and its force and i and i and that saddens me actually because i mean listen i think part of that reason is the way god's love is presented sometimes is in a very banal fashion you literally just gave like the opening lines to most of my wedding homilies just so you know oh okay so See, we're on the same page we're on the same page here okay good um so i, I and i get this right so but she was mentioning how uh, in one of her classes, I think if I'm, I'm trying to remember this correctly, but she said something that the teacher starts off the class by saying, God does not passionately love you. And then also said that God does not le- love you equally, does not love everyone equally. And I kind of gave a little like, hmm? hmm. And I think I know what he's trying to get with that. I get it because listen, with the way we often even even the way God's love is presented, it loses the sense of analogy, which is vital. Like it, it, you know the um, the difference, the ever greater difference is lost, and all that is emphasized is the similarity. So I, I totally get that. Um, 
And so that makes God's love very banal. It, it, it equates him to be the exact same thing as, as um, what's the word I'm looking for? As, as romantic love. Right. Okay. So that's so why I get that. But, and I think it's trying to attack a certain emotionalism around love. Or just the professors just flexing his theological muscles and being a Could bit of a jerk to throw people off their game and to scandalize right. them. And, and I, I kind of get that. And listen, we all do that sometimes, but I'm like that one. It's like I could see how for some people that could get to the heart of things because when you've been told for many years that God passionately loves you and then you have a theology professor saying, no, everyone, everything that everyone ever told you is wrong. Yeah. It doesn't that often doesn't do us a lot of good either. So no. I mean I don't I don't know what the professor or anything said. I don't know what his intention was. I don't know what he said in the rest of his classes. Listen, I already judged all the Aggies. Now I'm judging that professor. Okay. He's being a so, jerk. Right. So I, I and listen, I'm glad the question was brought up because yes, it got it's a good me, question. It's a good question. And so what it got me doing was rereading at least the first half of Deus Caritas Est. Hmm. Which is a beautiful and a very accessible, um, very accessible encyclical by Ratzinger, Benedict, Pope Benedict. Um, the first time ever a pope has written on love mm -hmm. as a as a um, as a encyclical topic. So I kind of relooked at it. I'm not going to go over the whole document because I think that's something people can just read. Um, but one of the things it really brought up, like, so the first thing that it brought up around was this idea of like God's passionate love was like Pope Benedict uses the phrase God's passionate love like ten times. Okay. Now, what does now? Here's the question then. So, what do we mean by passionate love? Because I think like this is important. Because the reason I think this is a the way that was that question or that statement was presented is for a lot of people, I think the idea that God loves them is sometimes the only thread that keeps them going through life. Yep. And so. Instead of cutting the thread off, we should strengthen the thread. Yes. Right? And then there's a whole bunch of – especially when you're in university, man, like talk about emotionally confusing times, times around identity and purpose and all this stuff, vocation. It is an emotionally and spiritually and psychologically messy time. And in many ways, I don't miss it at all. Um, uh, yeah. It's like, ah, it's good to be 37. I, I spent my time in seminary. I don't miss that at all. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I, it gets to this weird paradox. So how do we, we debanalize the idea of God's love mm -hmm. while at the same time recognizing that this is the only truth that seems to actually get people through life? That – you know, for a lot of people, this experience of God's passionate love for them, that God chases after them, that all these adjectives we kind of use about how God comes after us um, is vital and important. And, and like, the, and so the way I think it's in before I kind of shut up and let you talk <laughs> is, is the way Pope Benedict presents his idea of love His as we know, he talks about Eros and Agape. And really, actually, most of the first half is more about Eros than Agape. Yeah. It's about God's desirous love. And our desire is love for God. But for, for, for Pope Benedict, he says, you can't love God until you know that he's loved you first. Right? This is First John. And so for him, he says, eros and agape are not two things in opposition with each other, but they're rather two expressions of one love. 
and they're both at the same time. You can't have self-giving love without desirous love. You can't have desirous love without self-giving. You can't give yourself away without receiving and vice versa. You, bo- you need both at the same time. But here's the problem. The way we often look at love is only in its agapic lens. And I think one of the geniuses of Deus Caritas as it says, no, agapic love is not sufficient. It is not sufficient on a human level because it is not how God actually lives his divine life. That So we actually need to build up our desire for God's love, which comes from that encounter with his love. And that also, I think like for me, this is one of the really important parts of it all. Because we hear, I, I don't know about you, but I think it's also especially a, a special temptation for priests. Well, who cares if someone didn't, if they didn't, people didn't, you know, recognize this day of your priest or whatever. All that matters is that you give. But that I'm starting to realize that's bad. That's bad theology. And it ignores the incarnation and it ignores the cross because what is the cross? But God's desirous love poured out God seeking after us and pouring himself up at, out at the same time. It's Eros and Agape all at once. So I'll, I got more, but yeah, no. Okay. But you said a lot of really good things. Um, okay. uh, And uh, I think the challenge and and kind of the joy of preaching as well, one of the biggest challenges and biggest joys is trying to convey what is essentially ineffable, God's love, mm-hmm. right? And it's it can become vague because really if you think about it, all reality is based on God's love. Mm-hmm. The fact that anything exists apart from God uh, and by apart from God, I mean other than God, um, is because God loves. Mm-hmm. Like, He loved the idea of you know of of created existence, and He He did it. Like the whole reason why we even exist is not because God needed us, not because He wanted applause or people in pews or anything like that. He's like, I just feel like sharing my love with a creation, and so He did it. So it's it's one of these things. It reminds me of a story of uh i might have shared this before but there was a uh uh at my last parish i was visiting the school and i was challenging the kids to ask me a question that i couldn't answer uh which of course is impossible because i know everything and one of the kids very smugly uh thought he had the answer and it uh, the question that i couldn't answer and it was what is the meaning of life and because in culture, like to find the meaning of life, you have to climb a tall mountain. You have to talk with some sort of uh, sage or monk. And instead of answering his your question, he's going to give you a deeper question. It's like, no, for Catholics, the truth is the meaning of life is love. Mm-hmm. Like, period. And mm-hmm. that's something that instinctually we know. You know, you hear it in the, on the radio, hear it on your, you know, you hear it. I say the radio. Who listens to the radio anymore? But like, we know this. But the, 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 the pain, the difficulty is while we know on some level love is the meaning for everything, we don't quite know what love is because we don't quite know who, who God is. So there is this tension. Mm. And it's tough to talk about because um, we very much so experience God through the created world. And so anything from having bad experience with parents or having difficult romantic relationships, all of this can poison the idea of love. And so while even consciously we're not thinking about 
you know, I have difficulty with God's love because of my upbringing, or I have difficulty with the idea of God's love because of uh, a relationship that I had. Um, that seeps in because you're hearing the same words, you know, from mm. the pulpit. So it, it does make it very difficult to talk about. But one of the joys about preaching, and this is why a priest needs to have a deep spiritual life, because he over and over again has to relearn who God is. Over and over again, we have to relearn what God's love is. We have to experience that um, in the confessional ourselves. We have to experience that through uh, consolations in prayer. And we have to take all of that in so that we can give something of what we've received to other people. Um, and then you add extra difficulties with like, okay, God loves us, but uh, it's also 2020 and everything's bad. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, so those are my initial thoughts. But um, yeah, yes. so um, yeah, I think you're right. Like, so I'm going to get a little bit more metaphysical here for a second Let's because this is where reading, reading's been lately. It's the idea that creation, being is love. Yeah. Okay. I like the create, Yeah, being is love. That is everything. Everything about being is about giving itself away and returning to itself. This is how God has constituted the created order. Why? Because this is how God is in and of himself. But this, I mean, this is the beautiful thing about, about the Trinity, right? You, the idea of, of um, you know, God um, giving himself away to the son, you know, the son re returning himself through the Holy Spirit. This is the whole eternal, but this is both giving and receiving desire and agape all at once. This is who God is. And so if God's going to create being, it's going to share in that pattern and that rhythm, right? And so to be human is to live for love, but this is not love again. So I think the issue often is we, we fall into a sentimentality around love, but even there, even there uh, is a kind of um, even there is not a bad thing. Because if being is love, then that's going to express itself both in objectivity in affectivity. So it is going to be something felt. It is going to be something personal. It is going to be something communal. This Because this is the very structure of being, right? And so if this is how being is, then to be human is to be the kind of culmination of this whole – of what being is and to live that out in its most perfect way, which expresses itself in the union between a man and a woman and in, in, in the in – the, coming forth of a child okay yeah so this is who god is and this is who we are which means then that everything about our humanity is is important when we comes about talking about about love and you're right like what you said earlier about this idea like how we experience relationships in the world so mediates how we understand ourselves as 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 a human being yeah. And how we are loved. And so it's the role and mission of the church to mediate the revelation of God's love in Christ. Right. This is why it's very easy for people to reject Christ because the church becomes an obstacle, an anti-sign sometimes to that love. Yep. The church is judged by how much she lives out the Trinitarian form of love. Right. And so this it, it expresses itself, how we understand freedom, how we understand affectivity, um, how we understand everything. Love really is everything 
but not in a sentimental way. And so it's important for people to recognize like that we're loved because that's really how God is actually communicating himself to us at every single moment, every single moment. God, like the fact that I am is a fruit of love. Yeah. Because I, I kind of, okay, to again, get a little philosophical here. Existentially, I, I experience both my being and nothingness at the same time. Right. I ought not to be. <laughs> right. There's right? nothing within you that ma- that makes you be what's a exactly. better way to put that like that's right okay so like I, i'm not uh, self-subsistent exactly so right. it's like there's nothing about father anthony that makes father anthony I- exist there's no i don't have the reason for myself in myself in exactly. i don't know of a better way to put it than, than what we tried to do and so but, but that's yeah. the idea that that becomes a sign in the sacrament that points to the fact that we are upheld in love mm-hmm. by god right and so the whole point of the cross is actually it reveals to us the dynamic of creation again sin wants to withhold it wants to hold being back it wants to hold love back it says to be is to be yourself individually as an atom this is the logic of sin. It's the logic of devil. It's why uh, the devil. It's why this idea of like individual freedom that I am only myself insofar as I have my own freedom, my own rights, and I can assert my things as my way. That's actually not the Christian form of freedom. That's the that's that's the devil's form of freedom. That's his vision of freedom, because it it sees freedom in an um, as it refuses to see freedom and limits come together. But for the Christian, freedom is relational, right? So Ratzinger has this phrase. He says, in God, you have uh, being for, which is the Father, being from, which is the Son, and being with, which is the Holy Spirit. He says that's the dynamic of human freedom, which means it's always communal. So to love and to be is always to be in communion with others, which means you have to give yourself away. And that, but here's the other thing is that others now have to give themselves away to us. And so, so all of this is to say, I know, sorry, I got a little, I got excited for a moment and allowed my studies this week to kind of start creeping out. But um, all of this is to say that there's nothing wrong with the idea of God's passionate love because right, yeah, that's a short version. The sparkness of his podcast right. is yes. Because God shows that passion in the sun. I mean, and this is the hardship and it shows you how radical God's love is for us. It is given away agapically in the cross and on the cross is shown this desire and it's only received by two. It's offered for the whole world, but only two are there to receive it. Well, maybe three with the thief, I guess. But um, it, it, this is it shows you that God's willing to risk the brokenheartedness of love because he wants to rescue us so much. He is so tired of seeing us broken in sin. He is so tired of seeing us in the same patterns that bring us down. And he's so tired of us seeing not, not being able to see how much he delights in us. And he wants to show us, I delight in you, and that I'm even willing to risk a broken heart so that you can know that you are delighted in. Because that passionate love is is passionate, not just in like an ecstatic sense, but also in a suffering sense, right? That more traditional sense of passio. God, I mean, there is nothing more passionate than the cross. Because there's nothing more suffering. Sorry. I'm no, kind of no, sorry. Like your uh, metaphysical rant actually opened up something for me that I've been wrestling with in my spiritual life. I'm mm-hmm. going to try to talk about it. Let's see if it works. Um, but when you said 
that we experience our being and our non-being at the same time, right? So mm -hmm. I know that I do exist and I'm upheld in existence, but I know it's not me that's upholding it. <sighs> Let's see if I can make this work. Um, a lot of times we experience our that, that non-existent aspect of ourselves. We experience it as despair. This is what happens yes. to a lot of like really hardcore atheists. Um, they get to the truth of our non-being, if you will, or even yeah. us sometimes uh, in moments of extreme loneliness, of moments of extreme depression. Uh, we feel deeply our own emptiness, uh, and it's it's crushing, right? Mm -hmm. But in the light of God's love, our emptiness is the best way we experience God's love. Yep, yep. Because yep, yep, yep. we are we we are completely in a sense existentially maybe uh uh receptive. We are created to receive. Yep. So the the Christian mystery is realizing that your emptiness um is how you experience the superabundance of God's love. Okay. So that's existential. But let's make it more uh salvation history and the cross. And this is why the happy fault of um, Adam. So I think one of the most moving things about God's love and why we talk about it just as much as God's love is the aspect of love we experience in mercy. That God sees completely our sins and our rejection of him. And not only does he forgive us, he also gives us all these gifts on top of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So in a broken and sinful world, so you've got one, the experience of, of that kind of existential emptiness, but two, on top of that, uh, the experience of sin and rejection of God. And then God takes that, which is the greatest weapon against us and flips it. So now not, we, we don't only experience God's love in one way. We also experience it as mercy, which is somehow, I think, analogous to our being to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and referring back to last episode i think i mentioned this about letting go of the idea of holiness and like for me the uh my own efforts letting go of um that idea of self because the thing that's becoming to me in prayer is just like i'm empty and something about mm -hmm. that has been really comforting it's one of those things like, sometimes you experience in prayer like i know this is the right thing to pray but i don't know why yet so I guess yeah. I'll just keep going until it feels weird. Uh, <laughs> it, it, that's what that is. And that, so when you yeah. said that, it clicked from my brain. It's like, the point is that I am empty. And that's, I find solace in that because God has, one, forgiven me, and two, uh, it keeps me in existence because of his love. Yeah. And so even our worst sinfulness doesn't get in the way of God's love. It actually helps us ex experience it more, which is still weird, but also really awesome. Yeah. So there, yeah, you got, man, you're going to really bring out the Ulrich in me. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so quick, just a quick, quick aside for those who are wondering why I'm kind of thinking this way. I've been reading for the last year and a half, this little book called Homo Abyssus by Ferdinand Ulrich, the drama of the question of being. And <laughs> where this is all coming from, because what you're saying here is exactly the point. And this is, um, this is actually kind of beautiful because also like what you're going through spiritually is yeah. actually what I'm really trying to argue for in my thesis. Oh, good. I hope, I hope we're both right. <laughs> right. Is this idea. Yeah. This nothingness you see. Yeah. The reason 
those who who um, have who refuse to reject our nothingness or to see it as something to be avoided at all costs or to be just embraced as the only fact of being is to reject our creatureliness. To be creature is to be dependent, that I am not self-sufficient. So what this kind of starts to build up in us is, so for the Christian though, is actually to say, no, 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 go into the nothingness. Because there you are, creature. This is actually St. Thomas Aquinas, by the way, too. This is all, there's a lot of Thomas Aquinas and all this. And John of the Cross. And, and John of the Cross. It's all, yeah. it's all clicking in my brain. <laughs> yeah. You're, the nothingness is not to be afraid of because it, this is the place where God actually shows his love for you. Um, God, because this is the place. The only way for grace to start to take place and work in your life is when you open your heart, if you will, into the abyss of the fact that I am actually nothing. <laughs> because only in that moment does God say, aha, now I've got you. Yeah. Now you are in the place to receive everything that is grace, right? And this is this is uh, so this kind of, I think I might have even read this before on the podcast, but I'm gonna read it again. Because it's this is the quote from Ratzinger that's kind of got me thinking this way, right? The nothing that the disciples share with Jesus expresses at once the power and impotence of the apostolic office. On their own, by the force of their own understanding, knowledge, and will, they cannot do anything they are meant to do as apostles, right? How could they possibly say, I forgive you your sins? How could they conceivably say, this is my body, or pose their hands and pronounce the words, receive the Holy Spirit? Nothing that makes up the activity of the apostles is the product of their own capabilities. But in precisely having nothing to call their own, it is precisely having nothing to call their own that their communion with Jesus consists since Jesus is also entirely from the Father, and we are created in the Son, right? So we are entirely from the Father too, has being only through him and in him and would not exist at all if he were not a continual coming forth and self-return to the Father. Having nothing of their own draws the apostles into communion of mission with Christ. This service in which we are made the entirety property of another, this giving of what does not come from us is called sacrament in the language of the church. This is the work of grace. This is how it all works. That I, this is where God's love is. And this is actually, this actually does show the passionate love of God. This is because the cross, Jesus goes into hell. He goes into the extremes of non-being and says, guess what? Now he doesn't have to do this. Okay. This is not a, a synthesis of God. This is not a Hegelian, Hegelian, uh, you know, synthesis of thesis and antithesis, but rather it is God actively going out of himself into his creation and saying, I listen, that thing that you think is the source of everything that is bad about you is actually your greatest gift. And I want to show you how much it is loved. I am willing to go to that place with you for you. And I, I want to meet you there. So for us as Christians to encounter this kind of passionate love of God, it's about opening the heart to, uh, to this fact that I am dependent. Because for Aquinas, like the argument from causation says like, no, it's only when I recognize I'm always dependent that I realize God's actually there at every moment. 
it's not just a, it's not a it's not a sequential argument it's actually an an argument from existence so embrace the nothingness throw yourself into it it existentialism says this is the fact of life this is the darkness and there's nothing more and christianity says no 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 it, go this path because there you will encounter grace which is god's life-giving love Dude, I did not plan for it to go that direction at all. <laughs> I mean, it's great for me. I hope people get something out of it, but it's just uh, it has clicked things that have been going on in me for weeks, and I'm just like, I'm loving it's, it. <laughs> it's funny because I actually, I, I mean, it, it, it kind of like how I started off this topic is not where no, it ended not at how all. we ended. But that's okay. Yeah. And people got a little peek into what I've been reading the last year and a half. Yeah. So. <laughs> So there we go. Well, I guess on that happy note about nothingness yeah. <laughs> and your existential darkness, um, thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, uh, you know, all those places where you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says you must love your enemies. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me in all the mystery of God's love. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Clerical Speaking, Twitter at Clerical Pod, and email us Clerical Speaking at gmail.com. And we will see you all next week. God bless. Peace.